Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. The Great Controversy That epic battle between good and evil, Christ and Satan, is raging all around us. We, my friends, aren't just victims of this conflict. We are participants. The last time our guest was on the show, he outlined how that controversy began in heaven, in the very presence of God. Then Satan and his host of fallen angels took the show on the road, a road that led right to this earth. Today, we continue looking at the events that followed. Our fearless leader on this broadcast is Greg Hamilton, president of the Hamilton Library and Constitution Center, located in Colorado. He joins us via Skype. Greg, welcome back to LifeQuest Liberty. Hey, thanks so much, Charles. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Okay, Greg, evil has found a new home called Earth. How did that happen, and what happened next, and how does religious liberty figure into it? As an academically trained political scientist and constitutional historian, I've always been fascinated as a Christian by this so-called war in heaven. And it's not so-called. According to the scriptures, this is real. I believe it, and some people may not, but I, I do believe in it. I do believe that there was a war in heaven because everything you see here on the earth In terms of propaganda, people who use false narratives to achieve a certain goal, whether it be political or otherwise, whether it be at the local office or at the nation's highest level of government, we see this repeated over and over again. So to me, what we see here on earth had an origin and it wasn't just man-made. Flip Wilson, the famous comedian, used to say, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Well, you know... That's actually a very true statement. I'm reminded by that because there was a war in heaven, according to Revelation chapter 12, and it was an insurrection. And it was Lucifer who believed himself to be more just, more righteous, better than God himself, jealous of Christ. And he convinced a third of the angels that God's government was unjust, unfair. So what's interesting is... That third of angels led by Lucifer, we could really categorize as a mob, yes, as a mob in rebellion, insurrection. And one of the things I've discovered, it's not always true, but most of the time it's true. Mobs are usually significant minorities. They're a significant minority pretending to represent the vast majority. Hmm. Of course, they were cast out of heaven. They came down to the earth. And they tried to represent their cause as just. And we have to remember, this is not just Lucifer alone. This is a host of his evil angels that were cast out. And so anytime Satan is active here on the earth, it's also with his angels, 30% of heaven. That 30% number is very significant when we look at some of the things happening today. But we come down to this earth, and Lucifer at Christ's temptation, there were three temptations when Christ became a man and entered into his formal ministry. After his childhood in Bethlehem, he entered into formal ministry, and he started his ministry by literally going into the wilderness to take on 
the hosts of evil angels and Satan himself. And he did it by himself. He didn't have any protection by heavenly angels or anything. He literally bore this upon himself. This moment and also Gethsemane and also Calvary represent similar settings. But here we have the three temptations in the wilderness. And I, and I forgot one thing, actually. There was Lucifer's angels arrayed against Christ's birth using Herod to hunt and kill him. That's right. Before that. And then here we have the three temptations in the wilderness. And here, when you think about it, it's pretty amazing. Christ took on all the evil angels and Satan himself with those three temptations. He felt that he had to resist Satan there to be able to go on his ministry because he knew he would use human agents to block him at every step. I find that interesting because that same mob in heaven came to basically destroy Jesus and to represent themselves as representing heaven itself. In other words, that they were the righteous ones, they were the just ones. And if you really are the son of God, then you will turn this stone into bread. If you are really the son of God, see what I mean? So it was this propaganda right there, even trying to deceive Christ himself, God himself, into thinking that he's weak, that he's going to fail here on the earth in his mission on earth. Then there was the synagogue mob. When Jesus first started his ministry, it was right after the temptation of wilderness, according to Luke chapter 4. He goes right into, in the greatest detail of any of the Gospels, of where he gets up to read the Scripture in the synagogue in Luke 4. He was reading from Isaiah about how the Messiah would come and deliver those in need and in jail and and the poor and, and the sick and the lame and everything else. And then he proceeded to get up and talk about basically the Pharisees and the Sadducees as being like vipers. And the whole congregation rose up, it says in Luke 4, and took him to the precipice of a canyon to throw him over. And either holy angels intervened or he himself took him away from the crowd so he could continue on with their ministry. I mean, imagine a whole crowd there, and all of a sudden he vanishes. Yeah. He's right in their hands, ready to be cast over the cliff. Yeah. So he survives that. He survives that mob, which is the church. The church is the mob here. Mm-hmm. Religious people, so-called righteous people, representing God, representing the chosen people, the remnant people, are seeking to kill Jesus, who is the Messiah standing in their midst. Of course, he reveals that there to them in subtle ways, but they didn't want to accept that. They didn't want to accept that he was the the Messiah. So they're ready to kill him right there. So that's another mob. Then we have the feeding of the five or 25,000, if you count women and children, where he works this miracle in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. He takes two fishes and five loaves. Jesus took that small amount of food, and the disciples didn't, you know, think, how are you going to feed all these people? They're hungry. They were clamoring. I mean, they were they were grumpy and gripey, and <laughs> and so he feeds them. And so they see this great miracle, and they said, oh, he must be the prophet. He must be the Messiah. He must be the one to come. Oh, we believe. But their worldview is so shaped by the rabbis to believe that if he's the Messiah— He's going to deliver them from the hands of the Romans. Mm -hmm. He's going to set up his empire on earth, and they will reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. That's the kind of lie that Satan had fed the teachers of the law, the rabbis, 
and to train their children to think that way. So here these children were brought up to think a false narrative. And Jesus had to break through all that. And so what did they do? They rush upon him. The whole crowd rushes upon him. Imagine all these many people say, okay, 5,000 men. Well, they rush upon him to try to force him to become king. It says that in John 6, verses 14 and 15. It says they recognize this, that if they just took this guy and rushed upon him, they could force him to become king. And here he escapes again to the Sea of Galilee, where he has the storm in Galilee with the disciples, but he goes to the other side. And that crowd follows him over there. And he says, well, hey, you you basically want the food. You've basically said to me, hey, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. You know, you treat me like a local politician. You know, what have you done for me lately? If you don't do for us now, then you're just going to dismiss me or even kill me. He says, you don't know what spirit you are of. And they forsook him. That was a big crisis in Galilee, and they forsook him. Some of these very people that forsook him became part of the mob at his trial before Pilate that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. This is one mob. And then another mob, we could say, was a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Yeah. When you think about that, that's a mob that, again, was trying to force him to become king. That's right. As he rode like David on a donkey with palms waving, yeah. cheering him on, yeah. trying to promote that false narrative that he would be king of Israel and king of the earth and they would rule with him. And the disciples believed this thoroughly. And Judas is the one that kept egging this on, this whole idea that if he was a Messiah, he'd be a conquering Messiah. He'd be a political Messiah. He would knock off Caesar. He'd knock off Herod. He would rule the earth. And this is the false narrative, the the false narrative, the worldview that so many people have today. That's what drives a lot of my evangelical friends and even conservative Catholics, this idea of a world without end, that Jesus will come and reign and they will reign with him on the earth, an earthly kingdom for a thousand years at least. That's a false narrative, according to Scripture. And we don't have time to do a Bible study of that, but it is the big lie. It's the big lie that continues to exist. All right. Greg, as you say these things, I'm reminded that Jesus never said, I want to be God of your mob. I want to be God of your organization. Where did God say he wants to be God? You share that with us. 
he says he wants to be God of our hearts, our minds, our souls. He wants us to be saved eternally so that we will be saved in his heavenly kingdom. That's where the thousand years is. He gives us the final judgment to see whether he's righteous or not in his judgments. That's pretty amazing. He risks all of heaven for that. But he'll trust us. And that's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. That's the fairest God you can have on the planet. I mean, in anywhere. I mean, if you believe in God, you've got to believe in a fair God. Uh, if I'm going to believe in him, i got to believe that he's fair. He's fair, and he's also the God of our hearts. That is a beautiful, beautiful message you have given us today, Greg, and we really appreciate that. Listener, I invite you to libertymagazine.org, where you can read some of the articles from the magazine. Also, listen to these podcasts again. Share them with others, if that's what you would like to do. Greg Hamilton has been on the show a number of times, and his programs are always enlightening and inspiring, and I hope that you will listen to them again and share them with others. That's all at libertymagazine.org. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Greg Hamilton, thank you so much for sharing with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Greg Hamilton, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>